This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. That's where the students sit. That's why you could hear yelling from this section. It's where the teenagers are. Uh, good to see you, church. If you have a, a Bible, turn to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, it is that time of the year where the mix is under a week away, which means things are a little crazy right now. Uh, but it's a good kind of crazy. Um, there's a lot of work to do, but I'm thankful for uh, a ton of you that are sending your students, a lot of you in the church that are volunteering to make the weekend happen. It's going to be a great time. Uh, it's also the time of year where a lot of people have been sick, right? Anybody experienced that uh, so far the past month? We Listen, I don't know what it is. There's just something about how it works its way through everyone, right, that you're almost just like, when's it going to get me? When's it coming for me? Uh, if it hits your house, it just like hits every family member one by one. Everyone starts to fall. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I don't get sick, okay? I just don't get sick. Um, my throat gets sore sometimes, but that doesn't count, right? Uh, I get like sniffly. I don't really count that either, um, but it is funny. We were laughing, uh, Macy and I, because I always throughout the years said I just don't get sick, but yet there are a few times throughout the years where she gives me medicine and <laughs> takes care of me, and I still refuse to admit that I'm sick, but right now, I, I, I'll admit, I'm really, really sniffly. I just got some junk going on up here, and uh, and last night, she is. my wife is so good at taking care of me, right? And there are all kinds of medicines that I didn't know existed. And she, there's like hot soup, you know? Sometimes hot soup's just the best medicine when you're not feeling good. And so I'm sitting here thinking, man, she is so good at this. This is amazing, right? Uh, and then I thought about how bad I am at taking care of her when she's sick, okay? And guys, I don't know if any of y'all like identify with this at all. Um, but the first time I realized that I just don't know what to do when she's sick uh, was actually our honeymoon when she had the flu. Great start, right? Uh, so the, the night after our wedding, uh, we slept in different rooms cause she came down with the flu. I think the adrenaline just punched her through the wedding. Uh, and I'm sitting here going, okay, all right. First night of being married, I'm staying in the guest room. This is weird. She's in her homeroom. Like this is, this doesn't seem right, you know? And then we go on our honeymoon and, uh, man, she was sick and I'm just like, what if, I mean, what if this gets worse? We're in another country. I don't know what to do. Like there was this, this panic that washed over me and I would wake up and I would open the curtains and I'd be like, gosh, what, what do I do today? You know, <laughs> I'd look out at the, the people on the beach and I'm looking at the ocean. And I'm like, man, it looks really fun. And I just kind of look back and what do I do? You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to take care of her and uh, I'm still, still getting better at it. Um, but I just always thought that was a funny way to start marriage is the honeymoon is supposed to be like the perfect week, right? It's supposed to be the time uh, before you've lived together, before you've had the arguments and found all the weird quirks and, you know, gotten frustrated with each other. It's the time where, like, you're supposed to relax and have fun. And and the more uh, I was looking at Matthew 15, the more I was thinking, man, that this is something that we kind of experience in every part of life. There's always like a honeymoon period, right? There's always a phase, uh, say, when you start a new job. We're like, wow, these people are all so nice, and this is so much better than my last job. No one was like this my last job. 
And then like six months in, you're like, oh gosh, what, is, what happened to all those nice people when I got here? Like what, what happened? And you, you start to see all the cracks in, in the surface and you start to see uh, what people are really like and you get to know people. And, and when you have relationships with people, they frustrate you sometimes, right? Maybe, maybe for some of you with marriage, you experience that things were good. And then over time, you, you know, you're just like, what happened to the honeymoon week? You know, what, what about this? You, you buy a house. This is very normal. We experience this when we buy a house. It's the feeling of, I own this. This is my land. You know, it's like Mufasa and Simba. It's like everything that life touches in this yard is mine. And then something in your house breaks and you realize you have to pay for it. And it's on you. And you're like, ah. Let's go back to an apartment or something, right, where we don't have to worry about that. It's a honeymoon period. And what happens any time in life is that the shininess of new things can just wear off. doesn't mean it gets bad. In fact, a lot of times it means it gets better because when you've seen the hard side of things and you learn to trust each other and you learn to love people, things can get better. But sometimes it does cause a case of disillusionment, right? This feeling of like, man, this is not as good as I thought it was. You, you come out tired. You come out worn out. You come out just going, I don't know if I'm really looking forward to the rest of this because this really wasn't what I expected. Didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. And, and this morning, as we look at Matthew 15, we'll start in verse 21 in a second. Here's where I want to hone in on. There has to be a cure for our disillusionment. There has to be something for followers of Christ to come out on the other side and be able to have hope and look forward to what's next. And so we'll look at this woman that interacts with Jesus and has such a weird interaction. Like weird where I'm saying, like I read this with my D group and I'm sitting here thinking, hold up a second. Jesus said that? (laughs) He's in trouble, you know? I'm like, that's not something Jesus would say. And so what we'll find this morning is that this woman's faith is tested. We'll see that an outward faith is really the only thing to overcome our disillusionment. So let's read this starting in verse 21 together. It says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let's just pause for a second. Everybody just breathe. Jesus may have just called this woman a dog. So we need to figure out what's going on here because that doesn't sound like the Jesus we typically know, right? What's he doing? Now, this woman was a Canaanite woman which means that as Jesus and his disciples had kind of pulled out of Galilee because he had ticked off some of the Pharisees and now he was being labeled a bit of a heretic, they thought, hey, let's get, get, let's get out of town. Let's get away uh, from the religious leaders. Let's get away from uh, all the other people that are, are mad at me right now. And let's just try and lay low for a little bit because the timing's not right for this big conflict to arise and my life to be taken. So we're going to pull out of Galilee. And they ended up in this area where they were surrounded by Gentiles. And so this Canaanite woman coming to Jesus and coming to his disciples as a pagan believer, as a Gentile, as somebody that was outside of their faith, but even a little bit worse than that to them. She was somebody that they would have looked down on. And so for her to come to them tells us a lot about her desperation. But when it comes to disillusionment, I think it's important 
that we think about maybe where she's at for a second because she comes to Jesus and the disciples initially and it says that she cried out to them, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, we don't know what it took for her to get to this point where she comes to Jesus and his disciples. And as they're trying to lay low, it's very obvious they can't really pull that off. People know that they're there. Word's already spread. And so this woman comes to them. Now, we don't know how long this woman's daughter had this ailment. We don't know how long she'd been impressed by this demon. It could have been a decade. It could have been years. It could have been months. It could have been days. But I imagine for her to get to the point where she comes to Jesus, and maybe the most that she knows about Jesus is what she's heard other Jews in her area maybe talking about, or the rumors that have made their way out of Galilee from where he's just been, or the rumors from his ministry and the things that are being passed along about this Jesus who heals people, that causes the lame to walk, this Jesus that man, sets people free, these people that can heal the, the demon oppressed. She thinks, man, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my hope. She doesn't know a ton about him, but she addresses the O Lord, son of David. So maybe somebody gave her a heads up before she went and talked to him. It could have been years of her trying to find a cure for her daughter. It could have been years that she'd gone to uh, whatever her faith was, whatever priests there were in her pagan faith and said, hey, can you help? And they couldn't help. It could have been years of talking to family about remedies and, and, and things that they could try and, and, and it didn't work. It could have been years of going to anybody that knew anything about her condition and trying some kind of medicine or, or trying some next steps or trying any kind of solution to the problem and they're not being one. I mean, if there's any case for disillusionment, surely we would find it in this Canaanite woman, in this mother who comes to Jesus on behalf of her daughter. I mean, if anybody would think, you know what? Life isn't as good as I thought it would be. Surely this would be the one, right? So let's think about that. And as we look at this interaction again with her and the disciples and Jesus, let's understand some of the things she might be feeling and that we could definitely feel if we ever found ourselves in this situation. Because she came to Jesus in verse 22, said, have mercy on me. And in verse 23, guess what? Says he didn't answer her. What? <laughs> Jesus, come on, man. We know who you are. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. We've seen you do your ministry. This is what you do. Like, this is your time. Yeah, you're laying low, but like, let's just do this. Like, you heal people. You speak to people. You encourage people. You teach people things. And sometimes they're hard lessons. Sometimes they're easier lessons. But like, ultimately, when somebody comes to you and there's a sick person, we see over and over again in Scripture, you heal people. But yet, here we are, verse 23, he didn't answer her a word. He gave her nothing. Zip, zilch, nothing. He was silent. But then it says that his disciples came and begged him. Okay. So the disciples maybe heard, heard her crying out. <laughs> and, and they came to Jesus and said, uh, hey, Lord, you know, why don't you send her away? She, she's crying. She's crying out after us. And so as they were maybe kind of pulling away from where they had been, they were walking, trying to lay low. She's just coming after them over and over again, persistent, help me, help me, help me. She's crying out. And sure, the disciples were saying, send her away. But what they were likely saying to Jesus is, hey, will you do what you do? Like she's crying out. We're trying to not cause a commotion. We're not, they weren't telling them, hey, send her away and just say, hey, we can't help you today. Shop's closed. We're on vacation. They were saying, no, Jesus, do what you do. You heal people. You help people. Can you do that? And then she won't be crying out anymore. It's a really easy thing. We came here to lay low. If you take care of this, then we can lay low. 
So send her away. She's crying out after us. But he says back to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, hold up, Jesus. You're saying you're not going to help her because she's a Gentile? I thought, what do you mean? Like, this is, this is just who you are. This should be for everybody. But even then, she sees what's happening. She's come after them. She's crying out after them. She sees this interaction with Jesus and the disciples. And she thinks, okay, uh, I, I need to deal with this. She comes and she kneels before Jesus. And even then, she says, help me. Lord, just help me. Now, I don't know about you, but like, this has got to be the moment, right? Like, okay, he was silent. Maybe he was just thinking about something, you know. Okay, the disciples came to him. All right, surely he'll do something now. Maybe it was a lesson for the disciples. Okay, well, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel. What? Okay, but now she's in front of him, like eye to eye, nearby, knelt down, begging, Lord, help me, help me. And Jesus's response is it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What is this? What? What is this, Jesus? See, we could read this a lot of ways. And we'll finish the story. We'll see how she responds. But I think it's really important, church, that we just take a second this morning and think about the ways that if we are disillusioned in any area of our life, how we might have responded to this. Like if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're thinking, man, things just aren't as good as I thought they would be, then you might respond, say, with skepticism, right? Like maybe she's tried everything. Maybe she's prayed to any number of gods, and now there is this one hope of this Jesus fella that's visiting nearby, and she's heard the stories, and she thinks maybe this is the one true God, right? But if we're a skeptic, if that's been bred in our hearts and poisoned us a little bit, then we would see everything that's happened here through the filter of, oh, well, maybe this guy's a fraud. Maybe he's silent because he doesn't know what to say because he doesn't really know how to help me. Maybe he turned the disciples down and said, I'm only here for Israel because Israel will fall for it a little bit more easily than I will. Maybe, maybe the stories aren't true. Maybe there is no higher power. Maybe there's no greater answer to this issue in my life. She could respond with skepticism. I think that's something we do all the time, right? And we become disillusioned. Things are hard. We get worn out over and over and over again, year over year. And we think, you know what? Maybe God just isn't as powerful as I thought. Maybe he just isn't as all-loving as I thought. Maybe he's not even as real as I thought he was. Maybe God's just an idea that we like to sing about and we like to read about. But when it comes like boots on the ground, living my life, he's not showing up because maybe he's not really there. Skepticism. Maybe out of her disillusionment, she could have responded with cynicism. I know that's something I've walked through. (laughs) I'm sure it's something you've walked through too. Why? Because when we have relationships with people, when we interact with people, with our husbands, wives, with our family, kids, parents, co-workers, church members. <laughs> Man, you, you start to find out that people aren't perfect. And so when we become disillusioned, sometimes with people we think, you know what, it's because it's you have selfish, selfish ambitions. You don't care about me. You don't care about helping me. You don't care about loving me. You don't care about my needs. See, we get all worked up and we think, okay, you know, it, it, no one, everybody's just selfishly motivated. 
No one actually cares about helping each other. At the end of the day, they'll help each other, but only if it really benefits themselves, right? So she could have responded with cynicism. She could have seen everything Jesus was saying and, and thought, you know what, maybe I'm just not worth his time. Maybe it's just too much of an effort right now. They're just trying to lay low. He's just trying to get out of town. He's not going to do what he needs to do for me because it's not going to help him in any way right now. It's, it's just not lined up with this plan and what their itinerary is for the day. And so maybe she could have responded as a cynic and said, you know what? It's just a selfish, motivated person. I don't need this. I'm out. She could have looked at all this and just seen a big fat no. Or maybe she could have responded out of her disillusionment with pessimism which is almost worse than the first two because pessimism is like the loss of hope. Pessimism is saying, you know what? Things really aren't that good and they haven't been that good and I'm tired and the shininess is worn off and the newness is worn off and there's cracks in this now, but like, here's the deal. Maybe things just will never get better. Maybe this is just life. Maybe, maybe things just never get good in the end. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to church. <laughs> pessimism. Just negativity drenches on everything, and we say, this is it. This is life. She could respond with pessimism. And I'll tell you, I think with pessimism, it's something that all of us look at, and we think, this will never change. My work will never change. My marriage will never change. Friendships will never change. Family will never change. We think this is just how it's going to be. I'm just trapped. This is what it is. God's going to show up in other areas of my life, but maybe he won't show up here. God will show up in other people's lives, but this area, it just seems like it's not the thing that's going to work out, and there's no hope for this. But this isn't how she responds. See, maybe she was tired. Maybe she was worn out. Maybe things didn't end up as good as she wanted them to be. But in this moment, she doesn't respond to Jesus' statement with cynicism, with skepticism, with pessimism. She responds with faith. See, look at it in verse 26. It says, and he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Verse 27, she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Yes, Lord. I mean, think about this, right? Everything she's been through, and Jesus says, hey, first of all, I'm not going to respond to you. Second of all, my disciples are going to come on your behalf, and I'm going to look at them and say, hey, I just came for the lost sheep of Israel. And then third of all, when you actually get on your knees, in your humility, in your pain, in your hurting, and you grovel and you beg and you say, Lord, help me, I'm going to look at you, I'm going to say, hey, you're, you're a dog. I came here for the loaf for the kids, right? Like this is, this is what my mission is. God sent me for Israel. And sure, there's a plan later down the road for the Gentiles. And we see that happen in Acts. And we see the apostle Paul and the missionary. But like right now, Jesus is here. He says, oh yeah, dog. And her response is not, oh man, he called me a dog. I'm so hurt. It's not, oh man, he called me a dog. I'm out of here. Oh, man, the loaf of bread is for the kids. It's not for me. I get, there's no hope here. There's no chance. This isn't going to work out. This isn't what I thought it would be. She doesn't respond any of those ways. He says, hey, is it not right to give the loaf to the kids and not the dogs, right? Like, this is how it works. And she responds, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. Sure, if that's how you want to put it in this picture. Yeah, I, I'm a dog. And yes, Lord, sure. Uh, yeah, the bread is, is for the kids. It's for the children at the table. Sure, God, like, yes, 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 okay, that's fine. Yes, Lord. And yes, Lord, like, maybe I'm not worthy to be at the table. 
And yes, maybe I'm not worthy of even being a kid. Maybe I'm just a dog and maybe that's how people see me. Sure, yes, fine. Yes, Lord, to all of those things. But I'll tell you this, every dog knows how to get scraps from the table. Every dog likes that food and there are crumbs that fall from that loaf and I need that. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, guess what? I don't need you to see me any other way. My life is what it is. I am what I am. But all I need is just a tiny morsel of grace, just a tiny morsel of hope, just a crumb of what you have to offer, and it's all I need. She responds amazingly in an outward faith. And I would tell you this morning, church, that some of us need to repent. Some of us need to repent of our skepticism and doubting in the true nature and power and goodness and kindness and lovingness of God. Some of us need to repent of that. Some of us need to repent of our cynicism and just assuming that everyone in our life is out to get us or against us or they're just working for themselves. And some of us really need to repent of our pessimism and where we think that, you know what, there's just no hope for this one specific thing in my life. Yes, there are other things I'm happy with. Yes, other areas of my life are good. But like this one thing, there's just no hope for it. Some of us need to repent of that, but it would be wrong to leave it there because this woman didn't have to repent of any of those things in this moment. No, so how do we get to a place where she responded the way that she did? Because that's what I want, right? I don't want to be ruled by my disillusionment. I don't want to lose hope. I don't want to doubt God. I don't, I don't want to accuse people. You know what? I want to respond with faith, with hope, with humility, with courageousness and persistence that this woman did. And the answer is an outward faith. It's an outward faith. See, let's go back. Let's, let's look exactly at what that means. Because for this woman in verse 22, when she first comes to Jesus and starts crying out, what does she say? She says, have mercy on me. Now, hold up a second. I thought we were here about the daughter. <laughs> the daughter's demon oppressed, right? Have mercy on me. What does she need mercy for? The daughter needs the mercy have mercy on my daughter. But she says, have mercy on me. Here's what's so important about this. It's the only way I really know how to explain this because I'm not a mother. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get a call from my mom, even to this day. She lives in Florida. Moms, y'all are about to identify with this, I think, okay? Kids, y'all probably have experienced this at some level. I'll just get a call randomly, right? Every once in a while. Ring, hello. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm a little hungry, but, you know, other than that, I think I'm fine. Just sitting on the couch. Okay, <sighs> Uh, what, why? Oh, I just saw a wreck and had to make sure you're okay. I'm like, a wreck? I live in Georgia. You're in Florida, you know? You know what my car looks like. You'd know I was in town. Like, I didn't, you know? She's like, I just had to know. I just had to make sure. I just saw it, and I worried about you, and I panicked. I just had to make sure, right? Now, moms, y'all identify with that a little bit? Like, you see some of those things. You're like, you know what? I, I want to make sure my baby's okay. <laughs> and in this moment, what we're experiencing is this mother whose daughter is oppressed and hurt and in her affliction and in her misery, this mother has taken it on herself as well. The misery that belongs to her daughter is the misery of the mother now too. The burden of the daughter is the burden of the mother. And so while the daughter hurts and is oppressed and is in pain, is experiencing this oppression, hear me, the mother is experiencing the same things. She's so caught up. She cares so much about it. She's so deeply connected that she's not just here on behalf of her daughter. She's here on behalf of herself as well. She's coming to Jesus saying, I care so much. I need to see this healing so badly, this freedom for my daughter so badly. I need you to have mercy on me. I need you to work through my faith into my daughter's life. And this is the answer for us. 
This is it. Because Jesus looks at her and says, Oh woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is an outward faith. It means that we are connected to people. See, usually when we get, become disillusioned with family, with work, with marriage, with health, with anything, right? We, we like to think of ourselves, it's because we thought of ourselves in this like neat, perfect, like healthy, like Christian bubble that like is our faith bubble that God has put us in and he protects us and like things are going to work out and it's going to be good. And the moment somebody comes up and pops that bubble and things start to go wrong and the shininess starts to wear off, we start to become bitter and angry and resent things. We become the cynic, we become the skeptic, we become the pessimist. But God has commissioned you for wherever you are so that your faith might be outward, so that you might speak to others, connect with others, serve others, love others, recognize their brokenness, right? Recognize their hurts, their pains. Hear me, the funniest thing about the people that drive us crazy is sometimes they usually drive us crazy because there's something underneath that we don't see. That's causing them to act a certain way, to speak a certain way. The people that seem angry in your life, the people who have done hurtful things in your life, there's usually something underneath that, right? And God has sent you to where you are to have an outward faith that affects them as well. Her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And this woman knew that the answer was not just a physical problem. It, there wasn't just a, some kind of medicine or something to help in physical healing. He knew, she knew that there was a spiritual answer there. It's why she went to Jesus in the first place. And I tell you, every need in your life, there are physical needs, but underlying every physical need is a spiritual need. And church, I tell you this morning, the importance of an outward faith, you'll really only understand it when you see the longing in the world for hope and you understand that God has commissioned you to be the answer to that longing. It's only when the compassion that you can have, the compassion of the church meets the longing of the world that we see people healed and set free. And Jesus in this moment, we could read so many different ways. Jesus in this moment, we could look at him and go, man, why is he being silent? He's not listening. He doesn't care. Well, man, maybe he's being silent because he is listening, because he is taking it in. And Jesus, he turned down the disciples. He said, I've only sent for the lost sheep, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's not going to heal this woman. He doesn't want to help me. He, doesn't, he does this to me. Maybe I'm just not the one he was sent for. Maybe, you, maybe I'm just supposed to suffer and he was sent for this other person that I know and like it's not going to be me. Or maybe we need to understand that maybe Jesus was trying to communicate more things to his disciples and it wasn't always completely about you either. Because Jesus in teaching his disciples this, remember he had just come from a place where he ticked off a bunch of Pharisees and he had to communicate to his disciples, hey, we haven't abandoned Israel. We didn't leave here because they rejected us. And now we're just going to turn to this country and these people. And that moment he's telling the disciples, hey, listen, this is who I was sent for. This is what the mission is. This is what the ministry is at this time. And maybe even hinting a little bit that maybe this woman in her faith is a lost sheep of the house of Israel. Maybe in her faith, she is brought into the family of God. And we could look at what Jesus says in this illustration of taking the children's bread and throwing it to the dogs. We go, man, that's so rude. How could he say something like that? But in reality, what we see is a test of faith for this woman that's maybe sought answers every place she could go. And when she comes to the one place, he needed to know that she truly believed in him. She needed to know. He needed to know that there was faith from this woman, faith for this healing. Faith in Jesus is the one person who could get it done. 
Faith in Jesus is the one person with the power to heal her daughter and set her free and have mercy on her soul. It was Jesus. It was a test of faith. And church, I'll tell you, this is why moments like the mix are really important to me as a student pastor. Because it means that I get to go on behalf of students. I I get to go on behalf of families. I get to go on behalf of the community. And I get to do everything in my power to get students to a place where I know for a weekend they'll be with their friends, they'll be away from distractions for the most part, and they'll be gathered in a place where we are committed and expectant to hear from God. And when that happens, man, God changed lives. He sets people free. He heals people. I mean, the students know this. I don't need to tell them. They've experienced it. I'm telling you all, I will annoy them so much about going to the mix. Some of them I've talked to like 200 times, right? And I'm like, you just got to sign up. You just got to sign up. You just got to sign up. Oh, yeah, is it a money problem? It's free. Oh, you need to bring a friend. Yeah, you don't want to go because you don't know anybody? You bring a friend. Bring 12 friends. Make it free for everybody. Let's go, you know. Just throw out scholarships as much as I can. Why? Because I want them to see what happens, not just when they open God up in their life to, to do amazing things, but when they ask God to do amazing things on behalf of their friends. It's why we ask you as a church to serve. Whether you have a student in, in student ministry, you don't even know what a teenager is, like we want you involved, Right? Because we want you to see what happens when God shows up. We, we're, we're begging you. We're asking you to pray on their behalf, to be involved, to see it happen, to help make the weekend happen. It's why with Camp 78 this summer is a new thing that we're doing, but we recognize as a staff there is a need. We need to impact the community. We need to impact kids. And as a church, we can rally together and really make the heart of Camp 78 true, which is Psalm 78, that we will tell the next generation. We're not going to hide from them the things that God has done for us. We're going to tell them. We're going to show them. We're going to make sure that they understand who Jesus is and the heart of the gospel and the freedom we can experience. It's an outward faith. So if you're suffering from disillusionment, if you're worried that you've lost all hope, if you're bitter and angry at the people around you or you're shaking your fist at God, I tell you, you need the faith of this woman the humility that comes with an outward faith, the courage that comes with an outward faith. And you need to show up to wherever part of your life you've given up on. And you need to say, you know what? God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to you on behalf of them. God, I I pray that you use me in this person's life. I pray that I see change in this person's life. I pray I see healing in this person's life. And until that happens, I will be burdened on it and I need mercy on myself. It's outward faith. And God is calling each of us, every single person in here, to have it. He has put you in a specific place at a specific time. And sometimes we just think, man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> God, we, we think, God, you know, the answer is just like whenever I get removed from this situation, things are good. We think, you know what, God, the, the shiny new thing has gotten a little dull. I just need another shiny new thing. I just need another job. I need another family. I need another marriage. We think, you know, if I could just go have more new things, God, if you could just give me new things. See, some of you have been going on behalf of your situations on your hurts, on behalf of yourself and not on behalf of others. And you can say, God, just give me a a new thing. Give me a new thing. Give me a new thing. But what we learn from the heart of this woman and her outward faith is the prayer we should be praying is not for new things, but for God to make things new. This is who he is and what he does. We worship a God a savior who can redeem us, who can redeem the hurt and brokenness and disillusionment. He he can redeem your cynicism and your skepticism and your pessimism. He can redeem your loss of hope. He can restore you and he can make things new in your life. The The things that you think are too far gone, the people that are too far gone, 
the areas of your life, there's just no hope. He can restore that hope and make it new. So church this morning, if you need to repent, repent. But more importantly, let's start going on behalf of others. It's really important that we move, that there's action, that we take steps. This is what an outward faith is. It means we talk to people, we share with people. It means that we're not just caught up in uh, man, a really good prayer life and scripture and we go to church. It means outside of that, like whatever God has put us over, whatever he's given us, we're doing something with it. We're producing something with it. We're impacting and serving people. We're going on their behalf. Like we're, we're interceding for them. We gotta do something with it. So church, hear me. There is something each of us needs to do. And I don't know what it is for you, but the best way I know to start is to move, is to do something. And so I'll challenge you this morning. If you need to repent, get on your knees and repent. If you need to come to front during our time of worship in a second and you need to pray on the behalf of somebody, do it. If you're thinking, I don't even know who to pray for, guess what? We got about 200 teenagers going to a big event this weekend. You can sure pray for them. <laughs> Hear me, church. People need your prayers. They need you to cry out after Christ. They need you to go on their behalf and say, help me, Lord, have mercy on me so that we can truly see freedom and healing. It is an outward faith that helps us overcome all these things. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.